The scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief or being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for your word that's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And would you now, we pray, send your spirit and open our ears and our eyes to hear the truth that you have for us in your word today. May we be people who not only hear, but do what you command of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Change this a little bit here. Today we're going to continue uh, our series on the metaphors of the church, um, and we're going to be taking some time today to look at what it means for us to be the temple of God. Now we saw this in the reading clearly in verse 21. Uh, it's combined there, of course, with a couple of other word pictures. Here Paul is telling us uh, that we are um, citizens, right, that we are citizens of of this new citizenship that we have, that we're a family of God, and then, of course, that we are the temple of God. It's a big deal, really, for Paul to call us the temple of God. And it really is Paul extrapolating upon Jesus' own teaching about Jesus himself being the temple. And the basic idea that that we see here with the temple of God is that God comes to dwell with his people through his spirit. So keeping that in mind, I want us to look at three things in this passage. First, I want us to see who we were, who we are, and what we are growing to be or what we are are going to become. When we started this in verse 11, you'll notice there's this word, therefore, right? So whenever you see that word, therefore, that's, of course, referring to what's transpired before it, right? So Paul starts out this whole section by telling us, hey, you need to look about, you need to remember what I've written here. And verse, particularly in verse 10. And I want you to also note that the therefore, or the, the, to remember this remember that Paul is telling us to do, is the only command in everything I read today. Okay? In this entire section, it's the only imperative in this verse. And Paul is emphasizing that we need to remember. And we're going to talk about that. And, but he says, remember what, what he has just spoken of in verse 10. And in, in verse 10, Paul says this. 
We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, as the, as the Ephesian church contemplates God's grace in their life, Paul wants that grace to trigger in them their memory as to where they came from, where they were before coming to Christ. Then in verse 12, he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. He te Paul tells us two times to remember because we so easily forget. We forget our previous standing outside of Christ. Be maybe because of the pain we had before we were Christians, maybe because of shame or embarrassment of who we were apart from Jesus, but we quickly and easily forget who we were outside of Christ. You know, it's easy to forget about our past pride, our past prejudices, or even our past sin. It's easier to sit in judgment of those different than us than it is to remember that we were once like them. Paul says we were Gentiles in the flesh, which is just another way of saying that they were pagans by birth. They were separated from Christ. That is, they were not known by Christ, nor did they know Christ. And because of that separation, they are called strangers and aliens to God and to his covenants. In the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, the term alien or stranger often refers to someone who is a foreigner or an outsider. It's, that is, someone who, is not, does, who resides in the land but is not from that particular land, does not speak that language, does not know that culture. You know, I can remember back in 2018, I went to Bangladesh. And as many of you know, I work with uh, South Asian Muslims. And so I joined a medical team to go and work in Bangladesh uh, with a group of people called the Rohingya. Uh, now, the Rohingya are um, Bangladeshi people by descent who had immigrated to Myanmar and were living in Myanmar. And then when a civil war broke out in that country, uh, they were killed and persecuted and they fled back to Bangladesh. And they, I was working in the largest uh, refugee camp in the world. It, it hosts over a million people. And it was massive on scale with a number of people, and yet in a very small area, in a very small country, in a very densely populated country. You know, while I was there, I didn't really know the language. I don't know Bangla. Um, I don't really know the culture. And what culture I do know is really a South Asian Bangladeshi immigrant culture, which isn't quite the same as Bangladesh culture. You know, not only that, did I not know the culture or speak the language, I didn't look like them. Um, and the entire time I was there, for the few weeks that I was there, I felt like an outsider. I felt like a foreigner. You know, I could not go anywhere in the country, and I'd never been, I'd only been in one other place that was even close to this, but I'd never been in a place where anywhere I went, I drew attention to myself. That I could not help where, if I was on the street or in a business, everyone was staring at me. It was the most uncomfortable place I've ever lived or been in because I, I, I simply did not, it was obvious, I was not Bangladeshi, I was a foreigner, I did not belong there, and so everyone stared. Literally, I'd walk by them and they would just stare at me like they'd never seen a white person before. And many of them maybe had not. Um, but do you see here that what Paul is saying about being an alien or foreign, a foreigner 
He says that we were this at one time. The way I felt is the way we all were in the eyes of God. In the eyes of God at one time, everyone in this room was an alien, a stranger to the covenant promises of God because we were separated from him. We weren't yet in faith in Christ. We were separated from God. We weren't part of the privilege of being a part of his family. Notice Paul says that they were strangers or foreigners. Now, you have to understand, not in the sense that they were from a different land, or even spoke a different language, right? No, that they all lived in, uh, in Ephesus. They most likely spoke Greek, or maybe some of them spoke Hebrew. But what Paul is really saying here is that they were, alien, that they were spiritually aliens and foreigners. All right? They were from the same place, but they were spiritually aliens and foreigners because they were separated from God. At one time, that was their description, and that is our description. And it's really a description, right, of any one of us anyone here who's outside of Christ. Now look, Paul commands us to remember this, not because he wants us to feel guilty or unsure about our standing before God. No, not at all. That's not his point at all. Rather, he reminds us that even with our differences, Paul says we have some commonality. Among everyone in this room, we are different, and yet there's a place where we're all the same because each one of us at one time was separated from God and were strangers and aliens without hope. Though we may seem different, we all come from the same place in the eyes of God. You know, I think that was probably one of the best things I ever learned in college when I came to faith in Christ. My disciple leader would often say to me, Jim, it's so important that you understand that you have come to faith and that you cannot expect non-Christians to act and think the way you do. You can't, and what he was basically saying, even though he didn't use these words, is you can't sit in judgment of them because God has had mercy on you. It's not something I've done, it's something God has done and you. So don't expect them to live or think the same way you do now. It's probably the best advice I'd ever had in dealing with the culture around us. Church, Paul is telling us to remember who we are or who we were so as to deepen our appreciation for the transformation we have experienced through Christ's grace. That's why he says, therefore, he's pointing back to that verse 10. He starts there, remember who you were, and he's going to draw us to who we are. By contrasting our former alienation with our current closeness to God, right? The, the, the Ephesians were believers already. So he's contrasting, hey, you were separated, now you're close then in order that we can understand the magnitude of our salvation and feel more grateful to God for the work of Christ in our lives. You know, I hope you feel grateful for the work of God in your life. A day really should not go by where we are not rejoicing because we are new creations in Christ. We are no longer aliens and strangers, but we're now, as Raul often has to say, family. That's what Paul says in verse 21. Having this kind of humility, <clears throat> excuse me, recalling our previous state can bring our instilled humility within us. It reminds us that we weren't deserving of salvation, but received it solely through God's mercy. Having this kind of humility can help foster dependence on God's continuous grace and motivate us to remain humble before him and before one another. Look, Paul's ultimate point which tends to be the main thrust of each of these metaphors, is really a call to unity. It's a, it's a unity grounded in knowing that we were sinners 
separated from God. That's where Paul's starting. He's saying, look, in order to have unity, you need to know where you're coming from. If you can understand where you came from, that in itself can give you a sense of unity. Because we all, regardless of our diversity, started in the same place with God. Our sin, in a sense, is the great equalizer. And Paul says, remember where you came from, because only as you remember will you move toward unity as you understand who you are now in Christ. The difference between you and the person in the pew next to you pales, really, in comparison to us once being alien and strangers. Yes, there's diversity, but that diversity pales in a sense of being separated from God. And yet God has brought us together as one in Christ. In verse 13 and following, Paul continues, and I want to read this this full section again carefully, so please bear with me on that. But while we read this full section, verse 13 through 19, listen carefully to how Paul describes who we are now in Christ. Right, This next section is who we are now in Christ. Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once who, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments. He might, so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So again, making peace, he might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing that hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Then Paul says, then you are no longer strangers and aliens. In Christ, you are no longer strangers and aliens from God. Rather, you are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You know, there's so much description in this text of who we are now as followers of Jesus. Look how Paul describes these Gentile believers. He says, we who were far off from God are now insiders because of the blood of Christ. He has made us both one. He has reconciled us to one another and to God. We have access to the Father through one spirit. We are no longer strangers and aliens. You know, this is really quite an amazing list. If you're ever really feeling down about yourself or struggling with who you are or maybe what you've done, come here to Ephesians 2 and remind yourself, how does God see you? How does God look at you in Christ? Faith in Jesus Christ has brought us a complete turnaround in our position before the Father. Once we were aliens and strangers, but now we are the people of God. We belong to the household of God. This is even more amazing if you understand the divide in the early church that Paul is touching on here. Did you notice that Paul is contrasting here in this passage two groups of people throughout this entire section? He's contrasting these two groups, Gentile and Jew. He says he has made both one. He's created one new man in the place of two. He's got these two groups in the church in in Ephesus, and they're struggling to get along with one another, these Jews, Jewish believers, and Greek believers. Sometimes I think when we think of the modern church, it's is we really think of the church as, well, we're the only church that really struggles with unity. We're the only church that's really ever struggled with getting along with one another or doing ministry together or whatever. We, we tend to be very, very um, focused on the here and now. 
We forget that so much of the New Testament church, early church, was really a work in progress. It was really, it was just a church just like us. We still are in Christ a work in progress. The early church wasn't perfect. They struggled for unity around the gospel. They had to work out the good news of Jesus in their context and within their issues that they felt they faced and dealt with daily. Their issues weren't so much around race, leadership issues, or even cultural issues, but rather the divide between Jew and Gentile, which was huge in the ancient Near Eastern world, particularly in the Roman Empire. And this divide didn't just impact church members, it also impacted leadership. The early church leaders of our faith were not immune to this kind of division. Even Paul and Peter got into a heated debate on this issue in the book of Galatians. If you go into Galatians 2, uh, Peter, is, Peter and Paul, they're, they're around a group of believers, both Jew, Gentiles or G Greek Christians and Jewish Christians. Uh, Peter's eating with these Greek Christians. He's having a meal with them, meaning he's eating food that he normally wouldn't eat. All of a sudden, these Jewish believers show up in the town and freaks Peter out a little bit. He's like, oh my goodness, I don't want them to see me think I'm doing something wrong. I'm breaking the law here. So he withdraws from the Greek Christians, making them feel a little bit inferior. The, the way Paul deals with that is he basically calls Peter out. Go to chapter 2 in Galatians and look at this. He calls Peter out and he says, look, you're being a hypocrite. A few minutes ago, you were just eating with these same people who you now won't even associate with. Look, this divide between Jew and Gentile believers in the early church didn't just affect the body, it also affected the leadership as well. Just about every letter written by Paul in the New Testament addressed this divide on some level. Jews generally did not get along with Gentiles and saw them as less than them and, or even inferior to them. And Gentiles often despised Jews because of their rules and regulations. The whole religious system of the of first century Judaism really stressed separateness, right? Separateness of, the, of these two people groups. Dietary laws created boundaries so faithful Jews would not share meals with Gentiles. Ritual purity laws prescribed practices for maintaining purity, which created a sense of otherness between Jews and Gentiles. The Jerusalem temple was accessible only to Jews, and Gentiles were not allowed into every part of the temple on pain of death. This was a huge issue in the early church, and Paul has shown, though, in this text that we just read, that in Christ, that which has separated us, that which brought division, has been torn down. No longer are there two distinct religious groups of people or two distinct groups of people. They are now, Paul says, one in Christ. Jew and Gentile, one in Christ. The things that kept, had kept these groups apart, like their dietary laws and their purity laws and the I am better than you attitude, was put to death in Christ. There's no longer a dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. And how has that dividing wall of hostility been torn down between these two groups? Paul says, God sent his son to atone for sin, to make peace by breaking down that wall of hostility. And how does he bring peace? He brings peace by not just reconciling us to God, but reconciling us to one another. That's what he's telling these Jews and these Gentiles who have come to faith that they've been reconciled, that they can put aside some of their differences. Because in Christ, where there were once two, 
There's now one. One. Look, the point that Paul is making is that the gospel changed everything. The good news of Jesus changes everything for, for you and me. Where there is division, the gospel brings peace and reconciliation. But the question really is, are we living that truth out in our relationships with one another? Are we willing to consider, as Buddy mentioned earlier, others better than ourselves, even when their views differ with our views? Not because we think they're less than us or because we think they're better than them, but we are willing to consider them better than ourselves for the sake of Christ. Is the good news of Jesus at work in your life? Is the gospel at work in your life? One way you can know that is how do you treat others? How do you think about others? How do you talk to those you disagree with? Do you put up walls with those you disagree with? You put up barriers between you and them? Do you create categories of, of us and them? Do you put labels on others to set them apart from you? Because when we do that, I'll be honest with you, what, what Paul is telling us is we're not living out the gospel. We're doing what the Jews and Gentiles were doing, where Christ has come to break down those barriers, not for us to re-erect them, but to break them down. Look, if we're doing that, then we're just behaving like this, the Ephesians, and we're not understanding nor applying the work of Jesus to our lives. And I would consider you, when you think of people who are other than you, and you label them and categorize them, remind yourself that you're not applying to the gospel. You're not applying the gospel to the way you think or the way you're living. Because if you were, you would not be putting people, labels on people and putting them as, counting them as others than you. Lastly, <clears throat> excuse me, lastly, look at what Paul says that we're being made into. In this last part from verse 19 and following, I'll read. Paul says, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul closes this section by reminding us of what we are being made into. He does this by stressing these three analogies or these three metaphors. He says we're fellow citizens, right? We're members of the household of God and we're being made into this temple. Paul says we are, uh, he says that the foundation of the temples, of the temple is the apostles and the prophets. Now you might know that the prophets, the Old Testament prophets were really the mouthpieces of God, proclaiming the word of God to the people. The Old Testament prophets pointed to Christ to pointing to Christ of when he was going to come, and while the apostles point us back to Christ who has already come. Paul says that the church, that the foundation of the church is laid on these apostles and prophets. Now, when you think about a foundation, what comes to your mind? Really, the foundation of any structure is, is put down, is laid down to provide stability for that structure. Now, I'm sure it does more than that as well, but I'm, I'm not an engineer, so you, can, you won't fill me in later on the rest of that. But uh, yeah, so, but it provides stability. The foundation is stability in the prophets and the apostles the church is built on, the temple is built on. Now, after you build the foundation, you begin what? To build up the walls, to put on the roof, right? Now, 
after you've laid that foundation, do you then go begin to dig up the foundation, mess with the foundation? You've got the walls and a roof. What happens if you mess with the foundation and the structure's already standing on it, right? That structure becomes unstable. It can fall down, all right? And the idea here of what Paul is saying is that we as a church are built on the, the prophets and the apostles. And he's saying, look, the New Testament the New Testament is the Word of God. It's been revealed to us. And we can't, there's no adding to that now. That's it. It is the Word of God. Not only that, because Christ has come in the flesh and He's revealed to us God Himself. And that is the foundation for us as a church to grow and mature as the people of God. You know, the teachings of the apostles and prophets is the basis of really what the church stands on. This is why it's so important for us to really be known as the people of the book. You know, the scriptures are given for us to know the will of God, right? How do we know God's will? People ask me this all the time. You want to know God's will? Well, go to the scriptures and start reading. That's where God reveals to us what we need to know about him and how we need to live. We can't work out the gospel in our lives or even in our situations that God places us in unless we're committed to knowing and doing his word. You know, this building, or more precisely, the temple that God is erecting, rests on Jesus as the unshakable cornerstone. Now, cornerstones in ancient buildings were the primary load-bearing stones that determined the lines of the building, determined where you could put the foundation and how you could build that structure. The cornerstone was often the first stone laid, and it determined where the foundation would be laid. It was set at the corner, on the corner, right? Makes sense, cornerstone. And it created both a north and south axis and the east and west axis of where you would put that structure. Now, these stones in the ancient world were massive. Some of them have been found, one of the, one of the stones uh, of the original temple, Solomon's temple was found a number of years back, and the stone was huge. It was about, the, about half the side, maybe, maybe 38 feet long, so a good section of this sanctuary. It weighed over 570 tons. That was the cornerstone of, of Solomon's temple that they found a number of years back. Now, look, what Paul is saying, though, is that Christ occupies a unique position in the foundation compared to the apostles and prophets because he's the cornerstone. He's not only enables the construction of the entire edifice, through the found, including the foundation, right? But he also serves as the promised anchor for that structure being built. And it's the same with us. Christ is the anchor of which the church, of which the temple of God is built on. He is what holds us in place. He is what keeps us united. He is the foundation, in essence, not just of the apostles and prophets, but of the entire people of God. Jesus alone is the cornerstone. Friends, God is making us a temple for his praise. That's what Paul is saying here. We are no longer foreigners and aliens, but part of God's household being built into this temple. Notice in verse 22 that the temple is not complete. In him, Paul says, in him, you also are being built together. You're being built. You're not, you've not, it's not finished. You're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you see that in Paul's analogy that, in a sense, we are the bricks that make up the walls of the temple of God? Peter says something similar in 1 Peter, and he says that we, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. We are being built into this temple, one stone, one person at a time. And we exist collectively as the temple. 
So I know sometimes in our English Bibles it can get confusing if you go, Paul uses this metaphor about being the temple of God often, and it says you are the temple, but in your Bibles, in your English Bibles, that you is plural in Greek, all right? So often we think of that as being the temple individually, uh, and there, there's a sense where that's true, right? The Spirit lives within us, resides within us. But when Paul is talking about the temple, he's talking about us as the people of God collectively being the temple, which is why it is so, so important when we talk about membership. And I've said this before, why this analogy, you cannot separate yourself from that temple. If you don't come into the visible church and church, you're in essence denying what scripture says about who we are. That's why it's so important for membership. Membership is taught in the scriptures. It's just not, thou must become a member. All right? It is taught because we are the temple of God. And when you don't come into the visible church, you've, in essence, taken yourself out of that and put yourself over here as other. The temple was and is the place of God's dwelling. The temple, it was marked by community, right? The temple was marked by community. It was marked by the word of God. It was marked by prayer, worship, and evangelism. So too are we as individuals, as collective Christians, to be marked by the word of God, by prayer, by worship, as witnesses to Christ because the spirit of God indwells us. This reality has astonishing implications when we also consider the mission of the church. Before Jesus ascended to the Father's right hand, he commanded his, his disciples to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to, to obey everything I, he had commanded. Right? We call that the Great Commission. It's the central mission of the church. It's not the only mission, but it's the central mission of the church. It's how the kingdom of God goes forth. Jesus sends his disciples to be his voice to bring others into this temple that God is building. God is in the business of saving the lost, the alienated, and the foreigner where we all once were, who we all once were. He has placed his spirit within us so that we live constantly in his presence. And we live to do his will. And part of his will for you and me is to declare the praises and excellencies of the good news of Jesus. Announcing to our world the grace and forgiveness alone can only be found in Jesus. Look, all other temples require the seeker to come and meet with their God. But the true and living God sends us collectively as living temples into the world to meet with, to meet his people, the people that God is calling to himself. Do you understand as we share the good news of Jesus with someone that we are operating as the temple of God as we do that collectively? And God is with us. God is going with us. He reigns and lives with us. As we bring someone dinner, as we pray with a friend, we are bringing them into the temple, into the very presence of God. God is making his appeal through us, says Paul in 2 Corinthians 5. He is calling sinners, the broken, the hurt, the foreigner, the alien, to his throne to find forgiveness at the cross, at the feet of Jesus. That they too can be fashioned and molded into this temple. Because we are 
the temple of God. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we are grateful that though we were foreigners and aliens, you have made us sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, and you have given us your spirit and made us a place where you dwell. You have brought us together, and you are molding us into your image and likeness. Thank you, Jesus, that you send us out to be light to our world, that you equip us with the presence of your spirit to make you known, that others may come into your kingdom and be part of your temple. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.